As we start thinking about our mission to Nepal, which in four weeks, if the country is open, will be there, uh, Steve asked me to preach about missions to the suffering church. And uh, I want to start thinking about how we're going to participate in that as a church in helping suffering believers, not only in Nepal, but other countries. We've learned about persecution over time. We've talked about it. People read about it. We pray for them. But I think it's time that we say it's time for action. What are we going to do? And there are a lot of churches who are doing things. I'm encouraged by that. On the back table there, you'll see a a poster I put out called BASIC, B-A-S-I-C. It's called stands for Brothers and Sisters in Chains. And it's something Voice on Martyrs does, and it highlights what other churches are doing to help the persecuted church. Just ideas that people have. It comes out every few months. It's good to share those ideas. When I go and visit other churches to preach for Voice of the Martyrs, I'm always amazed. I go there thinking that maybe they want to learn information about the persecuted church, and when I get there, I find out they're already involved. They just want a little more fuel for the fire. And I get there and they say, oh, we've done this for Sudan and this for Vietnam and this for China. And it overwhelms me how much they're already doing. Or if you look at the other back table back there, the kids have blazed the trail already in this church. They have set up a table to sell things for the orphanage in Nepal. Now, some of those kids at the orphanage are there because their parents were martyred. And so they have taken the lead, and on that back table, which should be wiped out after the service, and you can write a check to Rock Valley Bible Church for those things back there, you know, Becky Reed made soap to sell. Christiana made hot pads and refrigerator magnets. Kara Plowman made uh, bracelets. Conrad and Alicia Milton made brownies and cookies and breads and things. They've already invested their time and energy for somebody on the other side of the world. They're taking the lead. The kids are taking action already. So my question is, what place does God have for us, Rock Valley Bible Church, in the long history of persecution and suffering? And I say the long history because it goes back a long ways. The killing of Christians, the jailing of Christians, the hurting of Christians, the threatening of Christians has gone on for a long time. Who knows who the first martyr was? Now, a martyr, kids, is someone who dies for God because they've done something right and somebody evil kills them and that. You know who the first martyr is? Go ahead. I love it. Cain and Abel. You know how most people say? Stephen. Because we, oh, Acts, you know, Stephen got killed. Or John the Baptist. Yeah, you guys had a child. You're right. Very good. Cain and Abel, think about this. The first person ever born was a persecutor. The second person ever born was a martyr. It starts in Genesis 4. And it goes all the way to Revelation because you turn to Revelation 6 and Revelation 12 and they're still talking about martyrs dying. People dying for the testimony of the Lord. So that's why I say in this long history, where are we going to fit? I'm not even going to recite the history in the Old Testament. 
And I just want to point out a few examples in the New Testament so you get a sense of this. And there's a point to this list. We already said John the Baptist and Stephen. James in Acts 12 was killed by the sword by the order of Herod. Paul, you know, how many times has he mentioned? I was beaten. I was left for dead. He got put in jail several times. Early church history even helps us with this. Philip, one of the disciples, was tied to a pillar and stoned to death. James, the brother of our Lord, was pushed off the temple, fell down, and they stoned him to death. Barnabas, Barnabas was dragged out of Cyprus and burned. Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, was in Egypt, and he was dragged to his death. Peter, who was in prison several times, was crucified upside down. Paul, of course, in his final imprisonment was in Rome, and in the year 69, he was taken to the outside of the city and beheaded. Thomas ended up in India and ended up in a furnace and speared to death. Matthew ended up in Ethiopia and was pinned to the ground and beheaded. The Apostle John was forced into exile onto an island. Now, the reason I give you that list is this. The New Testament... This book that you love and that you read all the time and that you memorize was largely written by martyrs and prisoners. Think about that. This book that you love so much is largely written by martyrs and prisoners. All these sufferings that we read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament and early church still go on today as we meet. In Bhutan, which is a little country, right, kind of near Nepal by China and India, in Bhutan there's a couple evangelists who've been uh, arrested, and one of them, they take different names there, they take biblical names. One of them is called Peter, and uh, they told Peter that unless he stopped evangelizing, he would have to leave Bhutan or be imprisoned, and he refused to stop evangelizing. So they took him into prison and they beat him. And he said to he said about this: I knew Jesus was there during the beatings. I was happy and joyous despite them, because I remembered the sufferings of Christ. He suffered much worse than I did. That happened within the last few months. Or his friend Jonathan was subjected to beatings because he refused to renounce his Christianity when the interrogator came to him and said, you are from a good Bhutanese family. You're supposed to be a Buddhist. He said, I refuse to renounce my faith in Christ. And he beat him with a stick. And while he was being beaten, he began singing hymns. And he said, I knew that if I were not willing to suffer for Christ, I was not living my Christianity in an effective way. It happened in the last few months. How do we explain that persecution just never stops? Suffering never stops. I guarantee that it will go on until Christ comes back somewhere. Well, our first explanation of that, only one of many explanations, is found in 1 Peter 4, and I want to look at that verse. Now remember, 1 Peter is written by a guy who spent time in jail for being a Christian. And eventually crucified. In 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, what we're going to look at. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, 
as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Now notice first, he's writing to them about a fiery ordeal. Now kids, an ordeal is probably another word you use a whole lot. An ordeal means a really difficult time, a really hard time. And he calls it fiery because it hurts. It's not real fire, but he calls it fiery because there's some pain involved. What is this ordeal? If you just look at the very first verse in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, what did they get scattered for? Same thing they got scattered for in Acts chapter 8. Saul was breathing threats. Persecution started against the church. And, the, and it says the people of the church were scattered. And when they were scattered, they went about preaching the good news to the other areas they were scattered to. That's what's happening to these people Peter's writing to. They were scattered from persecution. Look in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. He continues that. Theme. This finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What credit is there if you sin and you're harshly treated and you endure it with patience? But when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So he's addressing their suffering. He does it again in chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. In verse 17, it's better if God should will it that if you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So they are suffering for Christ. That's the theme of the whole book of 1 Peter. Probably because they've been sent to jail, probably because they lost their possessions, they lost their home. Some of them may have been killed. But their, their persecution is very intense. Because they're Christians. Now, I want to think through that. Because they're Christians, their persecution is worse than a common person's persecution. Because people get persecuted for political reasons. They can get persecuted for ethnic reasons. They can get persecuted for different kinds of things. But a Christian's persecution is intense because some other things are involved with that, which is why we have all these exhortations. He has to tell them to stay faithful, to be patient, to realize why they're suffering, because one of the reasons is that suffering tempts Christians to stop obeying God. It's not just that they're suffering and losing these things, but they are tempted to stop obeying God because of that. What do I mean by that? They can go to any of these churches in China and say, if you stop worshiping, And if you stop evangelizing, we'll stop hassling you. We'll stop hauling your pastor off to jail if you stop meeting for worship. We'll stop throwing bricks through your windows if you'll just stop singing hymns and going out and evangelizing people. We'll stop taking your possessions if you renounce the faith. Now, all these things that are happening to these Christians are hard. Nobody likes this hardship. These are difficult things. And so when they're 
they, they judge these things and they say, well, if we do stop, our life gets a lot easier, doesn't it? What if it happened here? What if persecution came to the United States and this was our situation? Imagine with me. We come to church and they haul Steve off because he's been preaching. There goes the preacher. The next time we come to church, somebody else is in the pulpit. They get hauled off a couple weeks after that. There goes number two. The next time we put somebody up there, they come back and they see that we're still preaching. There goes number three. Anybody want to volunteer for number four? It gets slim after that. Who's going to volunteer to do it? And then all of a sudden we, we notice that there's two families in the church missing because we found out they were evangelizing their neighbors. Now you see, there are people missing today and we assume, well, you know, they're going to see relatives or they're on vacation or there's sickness in the family. But in other lands, when the family doesn't show up, you wonder if they disappeared for good. And what if bricks come flying through those windows? How excited are you going to be about coming to church, not knowing who's going to be missing, not knowing who's going to be preaching? Wouldn't you be tempted to just say, you know, it'd be easier if we just stopped meeting for worship? It'd be easier, wouldn't it? It would. And that's the temptation. But stop doing that so we don't have to deal with all this. That's the temptation that they have. But they have to choose obedience and love to Christ. They cannot choose doing otherwise. So that's one reason why suffering is an ordeal for them. They're tempted to disobey God. Another reason is because it can really affect what they, what they think about God. When you're suffering, you're tempted to think that maybe God isn't good. Maybe he's not who I thought he was. Because why is this happening to us. In fact, is this the God I encountered in the gospel that I have to suffer for? I would say yes. My next question would be, what gospel did you hear? Did you hear the gospel that all your problems go away when you come to Christ? False gospel. Did you hear the gospel, bumper sticker gospel, things go better with Christ, with a little Coke insignia on there? You know? Did you hear that God has a wonderful plan for your life, and now why are they sitting in jail? What kind of wonderful plan is that? This is the gospel. If anyone in any country wishes to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's an instrument of suffering, the cross. Take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the gospel. There's a lot of benefits to being a Christian. You're the only ones who know what it means to have peace and joy in your soul. You're the only ones who have your sins forgiven forever. But when the gospel comes to us in God's love and mercy and forgiveness, following him can be very difficult. That's why in Romans 8, they says, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And it's followed up with, but nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Both things are part of the gospel. Inseparable love, sometimes constant suffering. So those two things make it an ordeal. They're tempted to disobey God, and it's hard to view God as good sometimes when you're suffering. 
But he tells them, he continues to tell them in this passage, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised that this happened to you, brothers and sisters. This is not uncommon. You're suffering. I'm not surprised. Would you be surprised if you were persecuted for Christ? Would you be surprised if somebody walked through that door and hauled you off to jail? Because they heard Steve preaching against homosexuality. Sorry, that's a hate crime. You're going to jail. Would you be surprised? We kind of would, wouldn't we? But the Bible's telling us, don't be surprised. These things happen to those who take a stand for Christ. Look at in verse or in chapter 5 of 1 Peter there. Look at verse 8. We shouldn't be surprised that these things happen because Satan incites these kinds of things. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right? We know that verse. But look what's after that. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Satan roars. He seeks to devour. Christians suffer. Satan incites these kinds of things. Let me give you an example of this. Some of all the stories that you can read about the persecuted church, my favorite ones are from the Soviet Union, which we're thankful no longer exists. But those believers seem to be the strongest believers I've ever read about. Let me tell you one. These are two young girls. One's name is Maria, and she witnessed to another girl named Varia. And Varia got saved. So she's a new Christian. And they said, well, let's go to the young people's communist meeting because all young people had to go to the communist meeting. Now, kids, the communists believe that God should be kicked out of the country, that there is no God, that religion is bad. But here are these two Christians, one of them new, have to go to this meeting. Now, new Christians are dangerous because you never know what they're going to do. And so Varia, being a new Christian, stands up to give her testimony. And she starts telling them about Jesus Christ. And he says, uh, she witnessed to those who were gathered there about Jesus, her Savior, and implored all of them to give up their sin and come to Christ. And everybody at the communist meeting was quiet. Nobody even interrupted her. And at the end, she sang a hymn to everybody. And the hymn was, I am not ashamed to proclaim the Christ who died to defend his commandments and the power of his cross. So what happened to Varia as soon as she finished her hymn? She was taken away. And Maria had, didn't see her for months, had no idea where she was, until she got a letter. And where does that letter come from when you're in the Soviet Union? Siberia. <laughs> Siberia, all ice, snow, desolate prison camps. Varia ended up in the prison camp. And listen to the letter. She says to Maria, My heart praises and thanks God that you showed me the way of salvation. Now being on this way, my life has a purpose, and I know where to go and for whom I suffer. I desire to tell and to witness to everybody about the great joy of salvation that I have in my heart. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody and nothing, neither prison nor suffering. 
The sufferings that God sends us only strengthen us to have faith in Him. Then she says, Here there are many in this prison who believe in Christ. More than half of the prisoners are believers. We have some great singers and we have some great preachers here. In the evening, we all gather after our heavy work and we pass the time in prayer. With Christ, there's freedom everywhere. And I've learned many beautiful hymns. All our brethren greet you. And we're glad that your faith in God is so powerful that you praise him in your sufferings unceasingly. See, Satan uses communism to try to devour the Christians. And what happens? They get put in jail and they glory in their sufferings. They're having church in jail. Satan uses Islam to produce hate against Christians. And what happens? People get converted and they see what the stand is. Satan uses Hinduism to get rid of the one and only true God and to get a multi-God religion. It says, your religion is foreign, and so they persecute the Christians. Satan's trying to devour people all the time like that. That's what it says, that the same experiences of suffering incited by Satan, are experienced by all your brethren in the world. So don't be surprised that you suffer. Satan does those kind of things. Secondly, don't be surprised if the world hates you. There are several verses that say that, but none as plain as this. In 1 John 3, verse 11, John says, This is the message which you've heard from the beginning. I'm sorry, in verse 13. Uh, Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. Why is that? Well, the two verses before it go like this. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Isn't Isn't that the dividing line? Isn't that a great reason why... We're not surprised that people, that Christians suffer because Christians expose sin. Just like Abel's righteousness exposed Cain's evil, Christians' lives expose the sin of those who are around them. It's not strange that the world hates holiness, is it? It's not strange that the world hates righteousness. It's not strange that the more we become like Christ, the more they hate us. we show that the world is in disorder. True religion shows that dead religion is just that, dead. And they hate that. It pricks their conscience. And when unbelievers can't endure it anymore, when they hate that righteous example, when they can't endure it anymore, their anger flares up. And then they take it out on the Christians. And they're mean to them. And they persecute them. If they could get rid of the Christians... They would. Then they would have liberty to sin. So we're not surprised that the world hates us because they hate holiness. We're also not surprised because what's the clear mission of Jesus when he came? We know that he came to seek and save the lost. But there's more. In Matthew 10, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Now, wait a minute. All the Christmas cards that I get, that Prince of Peace, Goodwill, Peace on Earth. Those things are true, 
I'm just saying it's not the whole picture. Here Jesus is saying, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. And swords are weapons. And swords divide things. And so he says, I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be members of his own household. That is not the James Dobson view of marriage and family. You know, we're not supposed to have enemies in the household. Things are supposed to run really smoothly. And Jesus is the cause of that? Why is he the cause of that? Because he, after that he says, if you love your mother and father more than me, you're not worthy of me. You love your children more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Those kind of truths divide the family. Why are you going to church? Why do you read the book? Why do you do this? That's not what our family does. And there's division. My favorite story, and I think I told this to you about four years ago, so most of you didn't hear it, about division in the family and this verse that Jesus Christ came to bring a sword was a girl named Munira from Tajikistan. That's an old part of the Soviet Union. And she's 19 years old in a Muslim family, and she got saved. And she started sneaking out to go to the church services. And she kept her Bible under her bed and reading it secretly because her Muslim family wouldn't have approved of that. And one day her family came to her and said, we have arranged your marriage, that's right, to a Muslim. And now she had to make a decision. So she said, I cannot. I've become a Christian. Family is in shock. Her grandfather takes his cane and starts beating her until he has an asthma attack. And then her father picks up and starts beating her. And they sent her to her room, and they kept her there for six weeks, and they brought the Muslim, the mullahs, the Muslim teachers in. For six weeks they said, renounce your faith in Christ. You're a fool. Your family's Muslim. You're Islam... Islam has been your religion forever. And they pressured her, pressured her, pressured her. Finally, her father brought her down and said, you know, uh, we need to make a decision, Munira. What are you going to do? And she wouldn't respond. And so he started beating her. And he said finally, Munira, I need you to choose between your family or Jesus. Now, that's a big guilt trip to put on a kid. What's it going to be? Us, the people who raised you, the people who loved you, people who care for you? Or is it going to be Jesus? And while beating her and asking her that question, she responded, I choose Jesus. And so he wrapped her up in a blanket, took her out to the car, and was intending to bury her alive until he remembered that this was a Muslim holy day and he was not allowed to sin. So he let her go back up to the room. She eventually escaped and went to live with some Christian friends and eventually went to Bible college for the purpose of being a missionary to where? Tajikistan. Back where it all started. See, that's suffering caused by the clear mission of Jesus to divide the family. And so Munir is not surprised. That's why Peter says, don't be surprised at this ordeal. This is what happens to Christians. One more reason why they shouldn't be surprised. 
In this verse, he says, Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. It's a test. God does test us. He does. A lot of ways, especially with suffering. In Acts 4, when Peter and John were preaching, and they brought them back, and and, uh, the religious leaders said, they flogged them and said, Stop teaching in this name. They said, Whether we should obey God or man, that's for you to judge. We're going to obey God. Okay, that was the test. And Peter and John passed the test. A plus. They chose the right way. It's a pass or fail. It's not an A, B, C, D, or F. It's pass, fail. You're going to pass the test or you're going to fail the test. You're going to confess Jesus Christ or you're going to deny him. It's not unusual. Don't be surprised if God tests the faith of Christians. Well, next in that verse, he says, it's not a strange thing that this is happening to you. It's not a strange thing that this is an ordeal. And in verse 13, he says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Now, you've got to love that phrase. Sharing the sufferings of Christ. There's a man, actually in this month's Voice of the Martyrs newsletter, it's about Laos and the persecution going on there. And there's a man named Pito, and he was arrested and sentenced to five years in prison. And while he was in prison, he was beaten. And he says, Blood gushed from my nose after one guard punched me repeatedly in the face. In spite of this, I would often sing songs, and other inmates would ask me, Why aren't you sad? I told them because I, I sing because Jesus is in my heart. And I'm joyful because I have experienced a small part of his sufferings. That's what it says here. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Is that a privilege or is that scary to you? Would you like to share the sufferings of Christ? We've got to get to the point where we go, yep, I would. Even though it's scary. John 15, 20. What did Jesus say to them? If they persecuted me, they will what? Persecute you. Of course. They persecuted our Savior. They persecuted our Lord. Isn't that strange that they would do that to us? Hebrews 12, 3. He says, Consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. He's telling them, he's telling these Christians, look, Jesus suffered. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was treated unjustly. Share in his sufferings. Share that. He tells them, in light of the sharing the sufferings of Christ, that they can keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing so that the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. He has to let them know that you're going to endure suffering for a while, but don't quit. Don't deny. Hold on. Because when you finally see him, it will be great. See, that's the carrot that he's holding out there. Share the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing because... The revelation of his glory is going to come sometime to you. You're going to see him. 
a very famous story about that. And if you've heard the story, I want you to, we're going to talk about the implications of this, are the two Chinese girls who were arrested in, and in prison and awaiting their execution because they refused to deny their faith in Christ. And another prisoner who was there, recounted, who was released, recounted the story and brought the story out. And she said, I watched these two girls getting ready for their execution and their faces were pale because that's hard, but beautiful and sweet. Humanly speaking, they were fearful. But the two girls had decided to submit to death rather than renouncing their faith. So the two guards were on either side of them and their executioner came out with a pistol in his hand. Does anybody remember who the executioner was? Have you read the story? The executioner was their pastor. He had been sentenced to die <coughs> excuse me, with the two girls. That happens a lot, that people sometimes crack in prison. Christians do. They sometimes crack. And sometimes what they'll do is they'll say to the pastor, if you do this execution, we'll release you. And under pressure, he'll say, okay, I'll do it. Because they get worn down. And the girls whispered to each other and, and they bowed to the pastor. And one of them said to the pastor, you know, before you shoot us, we want to thank you for what you've done for us. You baptized us. You taught us the word. You served us Holy Communion. And even though you're about to do this, we understand that you can repent just like Peter did. Peter did a terrible thing and he repented. And so they bowed. And they said, we die with gratitude. And he shot them. And then afterwards, the communist shot the pastor. And I have a hard time getting through that story. <clears throat> but this is what I want you to think about. Peter is saying that you keep on sharing the sufferings of Christ and rejoicing because there's going to be a revelation of glory after you do that. Now think about those three people. The two girls immediately went to heaven to the revelation of that glory, and they got a martyr's welcome. You know, they, they did the ultimate act of sacrifice and the ultimate act of love for Christ, and they get the martyr's welcome. And the thank you and their final reward. And what a great time that must have been for them. But think of the pastor. He also goes to that revelation of glory. And I don't know how that works. And neither do you, since none of us have ever died before and gone through it. But imagine, if your last act was pulling that trigger, and now you get to see Christ, aren't you going to be kind of ashamed? Would you have a hard time looking in his face? That's the day you've been waiting for. And now all of a sudden, it's grossly tainted because of what you did. You weren't faithful to the end. That's why 
they keep holding out this carrot to the Christians, saying, however much you suffer, there's something great at the end. Don't quit. Don't deny. Keep on rejoicing. Romans 8 tells us, if you suffer with him, you will also be glorified with him. Now, Richard Vermbrand, this is kind of a funny story because I need one right now to uh, get back on track. Richard Vermbrand, who started the Voice of the Martyrs, was in jail for 14 years. And he would constantly be uh, reciting scripture as long as he could remember it and preaching sermons to himself because he was in the solitary confinement. And he had this door where there was just a little peephole where the guard could look through just to check on him. He said, uh, one day I was standing there and I was meditating on Luke chapter 6, I think it was, where it said, when you are persecuted in that day, rejoice and leap for joy. And he said to the Lord, Lord, I've been remiss. I've rejoiced, but I forgot to leap. And so he got up and he started leaping around the cell. Well, at that point, the guard looked in. And he sees this guy jumping around the prison cell. Now, lots of people go insane in prison. And so the guard opened it up and said, don't worry, don't worry, we will increase your rations. And instead of getting one piece of bread a day, they brought him a loaf and milk and cheese because they thought he'd gone insane. But Richard Wormbrand was taking it literally, wasn't he? Leap for joy. I guess I'll hop about. They knew, he knew what it was to suffer and rejoice in great timing. Well, what is the application for all of that? What is the application of this verse for us? So Christians, we know, are doing two things, at least. They're suffering and they're rejoicing. Quite a combination. We are told to do this with them. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, you know these words. If one member suffers, the other members what? Suffer with it. If one member is honored, the other members rejoice with it. Isn't that interesting? Suffering and rejoicing are the two things we're supposed to be doing with other Christians. How perfect a fit with the persecuted church. But I ask myself sometimes, how am I supposed to suffer with people in Vietnam? How do you do that? How do I suffer with people in Saudi Arabia? How do I rejoice with people in Colombia? I mean, how do I do that? Because I know this verse. But let's put some good earthy instruction to this. And this is what I want to do first. I want to first say, how does it work here? How do we do this on the local level right here? And then I want to translate that to the persecuted church. So, let's take this. I want to do the second one first. Rejoice with those who rejoice. How do we do that right here, Rock Valley Bible Church, Rockford, Illinois? Very simple. Don't make this complicated. Somebody gets a new job, meets the needs of their families. What do we do? Congratulations. We communicate to them how happy we are for you. 
we ask them, so how did it happen? What are the arrangements? What's going on? After the first week, how's it going? We tell others, hey, did you hear so-and-so got a new job? We communicate with that person about what happened to them. And we're happy. We tell them, glad to hear it. It's very simple, but that's rejoicing with those who rejoice. Very simple. What if they had medical tests and the results came back good? What do you do? Oh, we're so relieved for you. We're happy. We're happy that that happened. Glad to hear it. We thank God for you. There it is. That's rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's very simple. They get an award. How'd you do it? Really? That's great. Congratulations. You're really talented. I could never do that. Basically, what we're just telling them is we want you to know that we're aware of this good thing that happened to you. We're aware of it. I'm acknowledging it to you. I'm happy for you. I have feelings about it, too. I'm happy because you're happy. It's not very complicated. So let's do the suffering part. How do we do the suffering here? If they're sick, well, what happened? What are the details? How are you feeling? What is, what's the symptoms? We ask, do we get the information? Then we tell them, what do you need? Can we help you? I'm sorry that you're sick. We tell them that we feel bad because they're feeling bad. And we pray for them. Not hard. It just takes some communication. That's all. How about the loss of a loved one? We're all, we all have experienced that, and we will continue to experience that. That's a tough one to deal with. They lose a loved one. We tell them our sympathy. We acknowledge them. That must be hard. I'm sorry that happened. We have feelings about this for you. When my dad died, it was a sad time. And a couple of people at church, we weren't going to this church, a couple of people at church came up and tried, my dad was an unbeliever, okay, so he went to hell. And a couple of people at church came up and said, well, maybe, uh, maybe he got saved at the last hour, or maybe he had a deathbed conversion in that. And I appreciate that. You know, they're trying to comfort me. They're trying to find something good in a bad situation. But you know what? It would have been better if they just would have said, you know, you're sad. We're going to be sad with you. That's it. It's not hard. That's all. So, let's take that very simple process and let's apply it to the suffering church. This is what they need to know. Let's just do the same things. They need to know we are aware of your suffering. We know you're suffering. You're not alone. That's very important. Suffering alone is terrible. And if we can communicate to them that they're not alone, this will help them. When I went to Vietnam to smuggle the Bibles to the Hmong tribe, when we met the pastors in that, in that room and delivered the Bibles to them, we were told, you know, no touching in Vietnam, don't touch people. They all lined up, 16 of them, and gave us a hug, one after another. 16 hugs. They hugged us. And I asked the translator afterwards, I said, I thought you said there was no touching in there. I said, were they just so thankful for the Bibles? She said, no. They were thankful for the Bibles. They were really thankful that you came from the other side of the world to visit them. That was the big thing. 
that you showed up. Because we weren't very talented. We just hauled Bibles and suitcases. We didn't do anything else for them. But we showed up. And they loved that. And so we need to communicate to the persecuted church. You know, we know there's something that's going on, what's going on with you. And we understand that it hurts. We feel bad for you. That knowing about what's going on, I want to read you a verse in 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, after thanking God for the Thessalonians, Paul says, We ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. And what do they talk about? Your perseverance and your faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So when they go from church to church, they're saying, Oh, let me tell you about the Thessalonians' persecutions. People have been doing this to that and that to them. Let me tell you how they've endured it. They've stood firm. They talk about it from church to church. So we want to do that too. We want to talk about the suffering church to other people. Scriptures tell us to do that. We want to be familiar with what they're doing. There are websites out there. You can just click on and find out information about what's going on with the persecuted church. Persecution.com. CompassDirect.com. PrisonerAlert.com. Opendoors.com. The information is full on the computer if you want to learn what's happening to your suffering brothers and sisters. It's there. We need to be familiar so that we can go around and talk about it like Paul did about the Thessalonians. But you say, how are we going to communicate with them? I'm glad you asked. When we go to Nepal, you, when we come back with names of people and pictures of people, You send them care packages. You create pen pals and write to them back and forth. That's the key, communicating with these people. And what will we say? I'm sorry things are so tough. We really feel for you. We are going to pray for you. That will do wonders for them to know somebody else is identifying with their suffering. It's not complicated. We can send them packages. You're our family. How about take on a prayer project? Pick a country, pick a person, a group of people, and you just take that project and pray for those people all the time. Or, I brought one of these, action packs. Voice of the Martyrs does this. You can stuff this thing full, and this isn't full yet, of soft things, and it's kind of one of those compressed things. You can keep pressing, 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 and that's how you get a whole bunch of stuff in there. And you send it back to Voice of the Martyrs, and they'll put a Bible or gospel literature in the language. They're doing Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iraq now. And they'll send that over to you. And when they get this on the other end, when the persecuted Christians get this, they think somebody, a brother, a sister, has remembered us. And it's very, very encouraging. There's even, I put some videos back there on the action packs. Take those home. They're like four minutes. View it. Bring it back for somebody else to look at. That's a very practical way you can communicate to them. The suffering already exists. It's already there. So here's my challenge in conclusion. 
I was reading through Romans, and in Romans 12, there's that long list of really short commands. I didn't know this was there. I didn't remember it. Romans 12, verses 14 and 15, it says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. I never remembered that verse. That is going to be a challenge for us. Because here we are with different personalities and different expressions, but rejoicing and weeping are required. Command of God. If you're shy, that's okay. If you're outgoing, that's okay. If you're a funny kind of person, that's okay. If you're serious, that's okay. But rejoicing and weeping is a command. Everybody has to do it. Now, if you're like me, seven years ago, I would have said, and probably did, said this, that's just not me. I'm not wired that way. Just kind of even Stephen there. Just kind of flat. Some of you might say, well, I don't want to be too, too emotional of a person. Frankly, neither do I. But it's not an option. Maybe we'll grow into it someday. Or maybe others are more wired that way than I am. I know those excuses. I've used them. But we would never use those excuses for any other commands, would we? Would you take another command? Don't be anxious for nothing. Well, that's not me. I'm just kind of an anxious person. Be gentle towards one another. Well, I'm not a gentle person, so I can't do that. We don't do that with those commands. You can't do it with this command. It says we have to weep and we have to rejoice. And I want to pray that God will enlarge your hearts and my heart so we can learn to do that. And one last statement for any unbelievers here, I want to say, does this sound hard to be a Christian? This isn't exactly a sugar-coated message for the unbeliever. Does it sound hard to be a Christian? I just want to say, the afflictions that you would feel in hell forever are nothing compared to the afflictions of Christ. The call of Jesus is this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, Follow me daily. That's more than the world can offer. You're going to get the love of the Father and the love of the Son. You're going to get a love that's inseparable. You're going to get forgiveness. You're never going to be condemned. And death is going to be conquered. I'd take that over anything. If you're an unbeliever, come to Christ and embrace Him today. Let's pray. Lord, would you enlarge our hearts? We need to learn how to weep with those who weep. We need to learn how to rejoice with those who rejoice. Pray that you would burn in our hearts a passion for the suffering church, that you would help them along never to deny you, that you would help them to feel the fellowship of their brothers and sisters in other places so that they can continue on. Use us, Lord. Use us in Nepal. Use us in other countries to bless your people. Amen.